Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you would grab your Bibles, um, turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, that means go to Genesis and hang a right and go a long way. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, a few years ago, uh, here at Seneca Baptist, and, and by the way, it is good to be back worshiping with you. I'm so excited to be with you this morning and uh, to bring God's Word. A few years ago, in, in uh, 2019, um, there was a group of people, members of Seneca Baptist Church, who gathered together and began to seek the Lord and say, God, uh, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And how do you want us to do it? And, and we called that group a strategy team. And we said, okay, we're going to seek the Lord and figure this out because we want God's church to be as successful as God wants it to be. We want to be the people that He wants us to be. We want to do what He wants us to do. And we want to be on mission like never before. And so that group of people began to pray. And out of that strategy team, uh, in November, November 10th, 2019, we began uh, to present these vision points to our church. We, as a church, received those and voted on them unanimously. And we said, this is what God's called us to do. I began in January of 2020 to preach through eight vision points. And over the eight weeks that followed, preached through every one of our vision points and then on March the 1st, um, I left for Israel, and uh, if you know what happened in March of 2020, uh, Seneca Baptist went to Israel and we broke the world. That's what happened, and so we apologize for that. But we began this journey of vision casting for our church, and God pushed a pause button on all of that in the middle of it. But what we found out is what we thought was a pause button is that God was helping us do things that we could not have done so easily because He forced our hand. So we began to meet outside. Do you remember this? How many of you Seneca Baptist members, you remember sweating it out in the parking lot from uh, March to April or March to August? We worshiped outside every week and it was fantastic. And some of you are here because of those services and we are so grateful for what He did. And He began to do some of these things in our life. And so what we really believe is that the same vision that God gave us in 2019, He has still given us today, and we want to remind ourselves of what those are. So we're going to spend some of this summer talking about the eight vision points. And you say, why are we preaching about these eight vision points? Number one, because we believe they are biblical. We believe they are biblical. And so we're not, these are not Ryan's vision points. These are not a strategy team. Strategy. Strategy team's vision points, but we believe that each one of these are God's heart for His church based on what is clearly revealed in Scripture. Are you with me? Amen. All right, just making sure you're awake. So, why do we need vision? Why do we need vision? Because God's Word clearly says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish or cast off restraint. 
And so God's people are dependent on God's vision for His people. And we want to be a people not of a man-made vision, but of God's vision for His church. And so, the vision of God in this proverb was prophetic vision, words of God, not of man. So, in, in, we, ha, we have a, a handful of statements, and so uh, you're going to hear over the next eight weeks our eight vision statements. You say, why is our vision so long? Because the Bible is very big, okay? The Bible is not a short book summarized in one statement. It is a series of pictures that God gives to us to reveal Himself and His truth and His reality, this heavenly reality that He desires for us. And so we have eight for them because I guess we were not smart enough to come up with one, okay? Number two is we have a mission statement. And our mission statement is pretty simple. It's to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. And then we have three words that all start with D that we talk about regularly. Say them with me. Declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. And so a vision tells us who God wants us to be. It's starting with the end in mind. This is who God's calling us to be. Now let's take steps to get there. A mission is what God wants us to do, and a strategy is how He wants us to get there, how He expects us to get there. So a mission, a vision, and a strategy. Now, uh, the book of Revelation starts with this phrase, okay? Before I read uh, each one of these vision points, uh, it starts with this phrase, verse, chapter 1, verse 3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it. Why? For the time is near. Now look at me. Lean in. I'm not one of those guys that's going to say, all right, Jesus is coming back tomorrow or Jesus is coming back this Thursday because anytime when somebody guesses when Jesus is coming back, they're always wrong, right? Jesus says nobody knows. But what I'm saying is that we are one day closer than we were yesterday. And if Jesus were to come back today, it would be good news for His redeemed, but it would be really, really bad news for much of the world. And how many of your family? And so as much as we all probably want Jesus to come back and rescue us from this world, the world is not ready for that. So, let me read these eight points. They're on the screen up here, okay? Point number one, this is what we're talking about today. We desire to be a church that reflects heaven. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. The second one, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Three, we desire to declare God's word through singing, preaching, and evangelism. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Four, we desire to become fully devoted disciples who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. Five, we desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planners, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Six, 
We desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the ends of the world as ambassadors for Christ, armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And lastly, number eight, but not leastly, we desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. Now, would you grab your Bible? And can I ask you today to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And we'll read all the way down to verse 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Please use that. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every Tri- or every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. Father, Psalm 119 says, Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your law. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Father, would you give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and your Holy Spirit pour him out on us and in our hearts in an incredible way today that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so today we, we think about a church that reflects heaven. Now, some of you are wondering why I had a mirror up here. How many of you uh, know about reflections? You probably see yours every day. Uh, reflections come in many different forms and shapes and kinds, right? You're driving down the road. We live in a beautiful place, don't we? Uh, you're driving down the road, and you might see on a body of water an incredible reflection, and it's beautiful. Uh, and you're just stunned by it, and you say, wow, how great is our God. And maybe you walk by a mirror, and you think to yourself, well, my not the way I used to look. Amen, somebody? 
Okay, and you look at a reflection, and you see in that reflection what you really don't want to see. How many of you parents see in your children at times a reflection of you? And it's the wrong kind of reflection. Come on, be honest with me. Miles or Sutton or Ella will do something, and we'll lean over, and we'll go, that's me, isn't it? Liz will say, yes, that is you, yes. That is you. We see reflections in many different things, but something about reflections is reflections uh, are not the reality, but they are uh, simply a, a reflection of the substance. And there is, there is a truth in Scripture that our church wants to be a reflection of heaven. Why? Because heaven is the substance that we're living for. This world, as long as it might last, is passing. Amen? But the world to come, the heaven that God is building for His people, is going to be eternal in its nature. The problem is that we're living for this short life instead of the substance. And so today, church family, I want to encourage us that we need to point our lives at the substance every day so that we begin, as individuals and as a church, that we begin to reflect the substance, not the world that we live in. So many of us, how easy is it to begin to reflect the world around us? The world's negative, what do we begin to reflect? Negativity. The world is depressed, what do we begin to reflect? Depression. Why? Because we're pointed at. But oh, I used to hear a statement, those people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I don't think that can be true. The more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we will be. So we want to be a church that reflects heaven. What does that mean? Let's look at the Scriptures. Let's look at it. Reflect in three ways. Reflect in three ways. Number one is we want to be a church that is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Now follow me for a second. Look at the Scripture. Verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Are you with me? This is every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. Now, from the fall, from the time of the fall, Christian or our world history goes something like this. Since the fall, mankind's natural tendency is to find people who look like them, talk like them, act like them, think like them, join up with them, and live with them. But that's not the picture that we see in this passage, is it? It's not what we see here. Why, why do we seek to find people that are like us, believe like us, think like us, and live with them and do life with them? It's because sin destroyed the unity that God created in the world. You don't believe me? And it's not just that sin destroyed the unity between God and man. It did, but sin also destroyed the unity that we can have with each other. How do I, how do I know that's true? It doesn't take very long. The fall happens, sin enters the world, and immediately there is a wedge driven in between husband and wife. 
next chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis, there is a wedge driven between two brothers. Then in Genesis chapter 11, there's a group of people who think they can build a kingdom for themselves that will last. And what does God do? That pride leads God to judge the world by confusing their languages. Do you remember the tower of what? Babel. And they are separated. And those who spoke the same language went and lived with the same language. They congregated together, but that's not what you see in this passage. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Does that excite you? It excites me to no end. One of the things about traveling internationally is you learn how little your world is and how big God's world is. You learn that there are people that don't look like you and don't speak like you. I love getting on a plane, and when the announcements on the plane are in two or three languages, it's a fun day for me. I love it. I I don't care if I understand it. It's just an incredible thing. Now, before the throne of God, here in this passage, there will be differing ages, ethnicities, backgrounds, economic ranges, political views, and some of these nations may have at one point in time been enemies. But before the throne of God, they will all be together. Those who were before the throne of God will have been raised in different parts of the world, in different backgrounds, speak different languages, but they have something in common. Heaven. Listen to me, church family. Heaven will not be filled with a bunch of wealthy, white, middle-aged, American Republicans. And can we say praise God for that? Oh, goodness. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. It's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus draws together those who would form an unlikely group. You don't believe me? Who were the first 12 that he called? Don't you think they were pretty unlikely? You had filthy fishermen, tax-collecting traders, you, you had Jewish extremists and religious outcasts. Wouldn't you have liked to have been at the fireside dinners as they talked about life and what they thought about the world? But they came together around Jesus. The unifying force in, in a church is not simply a common goal or a common enemy. Why? Because football teams can do that, right? We talked about that just a few weeks ago. Football teams can have a common goal and a common enemy. But the unifying force within the church of God is not a mission, but a person. It's a person. It's a Savior who brings a common salvation. I want you to look at the Scripture, chapter 7, verse 10. They're crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Verse 14, and he he asked me, who are they? Verse 14 says, I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is a common person who makes them unified 
together. There is a salvation, a singular way of salvation that all who come under him will be unified in him. His name is Jesus. Understand, there are only two places of perfect equality. One is at the foot of the cross, and two is at the foot of the throne of of God in heaven. At the foot of the cross, every person is equally separated from God, a sinner under the wrath and divine judgment of a sinless, holy, perfect, righteous God. Every one of us, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and there before the throne of God, no one will stand in the presence of God and say to the one on the throne, did you see all that I did to get me here? I worked really hard, I was raised right, I didn't do that, and I did do this, and that's why I'm here. Not a single person will stand before the throne of God and say, I did it, it's my merit, it's my efforts, and it was because I kept my nose clean and lived a good life. There are no cosmic scales in heaven that God's going to weigh our deeds on one day. That's a lie fed to us from the devil. There is one way in, and it is the blood of the Lamb slain for us before the foundations of the world. There's one way, and there before the throne of God, there is perfect equality. That does not mean that we are all the same, but rather there is unity in diversity before the throne. And we, right here at Seneca Baptist, we want a church that reflects that heavenly reality. Multi-generational. It'd be really easy to have a church of only young people or only old people. We want to be multi-generational, multi-ethnic. Look around you for a second. Mr. Felix is the most ethnic person we have at our church. Gloria a Dios. Amen? Okay. Sorry about that, brother. But we desire to reflect heaven's reality. That there would be people at Seneca Baptist Church from every tribe. And nation and language. I forgot about you, Paul. Every tribe and nation and language being unified under the banner of the gospel of Christ. Mm, man, I want that. And it's not going to be easy, is it, church? We have the tendency to homogenize. But God wants unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. Now, let me clarify for a moment. What do I mean by diversity? Now, our world has taken the word diversity and perverted it. Okay? So I know diversity in political places is is kind of a hot topic. So let me tell you what I mean by diversity. I'm not 
talking about some kind of woke idea of diversity. I've never said the word woke in a sermon, okay, but there it was. It's not some woke idea of diversity where we preach a soft message that God loves everyone just the way that they are, and you don't need to do anything to your life, but God is a cosmic Burger King who wants you to have it your way, and He will add blessings to your life. That's not the message of the gospel, but that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're saying. When we talk about diversity in the gospel, we're pleading with people that the gospel is for everyone. That's what we mean. But the gospel also says, if you want to live, first you've got to come and die. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to trust in the only all-sufficient blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Are you with me, church? That's diversity. And through the blood of Christ, he takes a bunch of diverse people and makes them one people in the gospel. That's what Pastor Joe preached about last week. He tore down every dividing wall. He made us one man in the place of two men. No, we want to beg of people to enthrone Christ as Lord and Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords of your life. That's what we mean by diversity. And it's the most loving thing that we can do to tell people the truth. That's what we mean by diversity. Why is this so important? Two reasons. Two reasons why it's so important. The first is the picture it portrays to the world. Now, I just want you to imagine for a second if in our church on this Sunday morning were people of different ethnicities, of social classes, or of economic ranges, of upbringings and backgrounds and languages. In our church, on one any given morning, were all of these peoples, tribes, and languages represented, and a, a stranger walks in the back door and sees all of these differences among the congregation of Seneca Baptist, what's that person, that outsider, out, the stranger to the commonwealth of God, alien to the promises of God, what is that person going to think about what's happening in here? There's something about that. What's the common denominator there? How is it that God brought all those weird, strange, diverse people together? It's going to portray a picture to the world. Think about it in the opposite form. I'm just going to say it. Can I just say it? An African-American family walks in the back door. Today looks around our congregation and says, this place isn't for me. Is it for them? Yes, of course. But a a segregated, and I don't just mean racially, congregation of people portrays a picture to the world that is not the kind of picture that Jesus wants us to portray to the world. When when we are all of diverse ethnicities and backgrounds and languages and socioeconomic statuses, when we come together under the banner of Christ, it says that the gospel is more, more powerful than any dividing line or barrier formed by sinful humanity, and that the gospel unites all together under the banner of Jesus, that Jesus is greater than any difference. 
And man, I want that, don't you? It portrays a picture to the world, and we want to portray as a church the right picture to the world. Why? Because it points to the right Savior, that the Savior Jesus is for all mankind. Secondly, the purpose that it accomplishes in our lives. When we bring all of that diversity, different multi-generations, multi-ethnicities, when we bring all of those people under one roof and we all call ourselves brothers and sisters in the same family, guess what's going to happen? We're going to begin to rub on one another. Are you with me? Because have you, have, has anybody ever been to an African-American worship service? Oh man, that stuff's fun right there. They could teach us something about passion and zeal. Have you, ever, have you ever been to a Hispanic worship service? Woo, man. They could teach us something. But you know what would be good? Is when they believe something about worship, and this group believes something about worship, and this group believes something about worship, and we come together to figure that out. You know what that's going to do? It's going to sanctify us. That's a real fancy word for saying it rubs off all the rough spots on my life so that I become more like Jesus. This, when we come together, it's going to portray a picture, but it's also going to accomplish a purpose in my life that I will become more like Jesus. The question is not, listen to me church family, the question is not if somebody walks in the door who's a different background or ethnicity or socioeconomic range, the question is not will we welcome them to our church for the day. The question is will we invite them into our lives. It's easy to welcome, hey, you're well, welcome to Seneca Baptist Church, but who's taking them to lunch? Who's sitting down across a dinner table with them one night in your home and saying, tell me about you? See, that's different, isn't it? And that is going to make us more like Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And I tell you something, we'd probably be better off ourselves if we did the same. Okay, i got to keep on. Second thing, worshipers of God. What are, the, what are these, this diverse group of people? What are they doing? What are they doing? I love this. But look at verse 9. Middle of verse 9. They're, they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hand. Where do we see palm branches in the Bible? Hosanna, right? The, the triumphal entry. In, in the book of Leviticus and in the triumphal entry, palm branches were a symbol of rejoicing, of celebration. And they're waving these palm branches. And what are they saying? Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Now, let me just tell you, worship in heaven ain't going to be like worship at Seneca Baptist Church. It's going to be loud. People aren't going to be afraid to be passionate. They're crying out with a loud voice. Are they on key? I don't know. But it doesn't seem to matter, does it? 
They're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne in the Lamb. And the angels, verse 11, join in. They're standing around the throne, around the elders, and the four living creatures are joining in. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Verse 12 saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. It is a worship service. It's a worship service. And then what happens? Verse 15 through 17 teach us what our heavenly reality is going to be like. That they're before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They'll hunger no more and they'll thirst. They will not thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor, the, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. What are they doing day and night? They're worshiping. Lean in close. If you don't like worship here on this planet, I promise you, you're not going to like heaven. Why? Because heaven's all about worship. A few weeks ago, we talked about glory. What is glory? What is worship? And what we said is, glory is comprehending the worth of God, experiencing the weight of God, and giving worship to God. And listen, church family, when the worth and weight of the eternal King of kings, Alpha and Omega, begins to lay Himself on our lives, when we see Him as transcendently of ultimate value, you know what is going to naturally pour out of us? Worship. Worship. Palm branches, declarations. Worshippers of God who are surrendered to Jesus. What makes that possible? Third thing, the presence of Jesus. Where is the Lamb? Where is the throne? It's in the midst of the people. It's in the midst of the people. What makes these things possible in heaven? That, that we would be diverse worshipers, multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus, what makes that possible is His presence. It's His presence. His presence doesn't make us all the same, but it diminishes the importance of our differences by overshadowing them with something far more important, His glory. It's going to demolish Everything else. Now, I just want you to imagine for a second. We're sitting, sitting here right now. And please, Lord, what if Jesus walked in the back door right now? Incarnate. Glorified state, maybe. You wouldn't say, I need to see an ID, sir. You knew. What if he walked in the back door? What, what differences would matter to us at that moment. None of them. We could not take our eyes off of Him, could we? We could not help but bow the knee to Him, could we? Why? Because He's here. 
Church family, every time we gather for worship, Jesus is as much here as He is in heaven. Every time. Every time. The presence of Jesus would demolish any barriers that divide us, and it would unite us under the banner of faith. His presence in heaven reconstructs the Garden of Eden that sin destroyed. Where does the Bible start? In a garden. Where does it end? In a garden. What's in the middle of the two gardens? A garden and a tree. There's a Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Eden, Adam says, I know better. I make a better God than you do. Not your will, but mine. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, not my will, but yours. In the first garden, sin separated. In the second garden, began the work of Christ on the cross that He would reconcile the world to God. And it ends in a garden, a perfect one, the Garden of Eden rebuilt for humanity, where we are united under the banner of Christ in the presence of a holy God, naked and unashamed. Imagine what it would be like to not have to try to hide anything from Him. Hmm. That's what heaven's going to be like. And that's what our church can be like. A diverse group of people worshiping Him, captivated by Him, surrendered to Him, to Jesus, our great God and Savior. So how do we get there really fast, really fast? Two things. One, we got to pursue a culture of grace. Gospel grace. We've got to pursue a culture of gospel grace. And before you can pursue it in the church, you've got to grab hold of the grace that you so desperately need and I so desperately need. That means that you are as much of a sinner as Paul, the Saul Paul, the one who martyred Christians. You're as much of a sinner as, as anybody else. And if it weren't for the grace of God, you would be equally as damned as they are. And you've got to receive that gospel grace. And I must cult, cultivate a, a pattern of humility in my life. That, that I'm, I'm not superior, but in fact, like Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. There's nobody in this church who needs Jesus more than Ryan Perry. We've got to pursue a culture of gospel grace. We've got to make decisions and treat people based on the economy of the eternal kingdom of heaven and not on the temporary kingdoms of the world. Grace must permeate all of our lives. When we have a guest, do we show them gospel grace? Do we invite them in? Do, we, do, do they see in us the grace of Jesus that transformed me? Has it transformed my speech? Or is there still this remnant of sarcasm and gossip and slander? Do you remember James on the power of the tongue? The way that we love people is going to show them this gospel of grace. And secondly, we must pursue a life of gospel witness. A life of gospel witness. 
we got to stop church family. we got to stop seeing witnessing and evangelism as programs of the church. And rather, we've got to see it as our responsibility and our privilege of every redeemed person. That it is our responsibility and privilege to tell somebody about Jesus. And what is it? If I've got a culture of gospel grace in me, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. We've got to go where people are. We've got to speak the gospel there. So today at 4 p.m. We're, we're throwing a block party. Why? Not because we want to throw a block party, but because we want to tell people about Jesus. We had a group Thursday morning that went to Applewood Villas and prayed. I heard, I heard Mr. Steve had an incredible conversation with one of the residents there already, just walking around praying. God has given us the opportunity and privilege to go to Applewood Village for 70 people who reside there, is what we're told to expect today, so that we might tell them about Jesus. So we'll end with this reflection questions up on the screen, and then we'll close. How does SBC, Seneca Baptist Church, reflect heaven's diversity? I know the answer to that because I wrote the question. But that should weigh on us. And it should hurt our hearts a little bit. Does my life, not this hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, but does my life reflect an attitude of worship? Am I surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior? You might be out there today and well, you, you think you're going to get into heaven because you're good. You're well behaved. You were raised in church, but you've never trusted Christ. You've never, you've never understood that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. So Jesus had to come and save you by dying for you. And today you can trust Him as Lord and Savior. You can bow your knee to Him. Give your life to Him. Enthrone Him in your life. And last, do I reflect to others the grace that I have received because of Jesus? Would you stand with me? Christopher's going to come. <clears throat> Miss Margaret's going to come. And we're going to sing. But we're also going to respond would you leave those reflection questions up there, Mr. James, for a moment? Maybe in those reflection questions you see sin that you need to re repent of. Let's do that today. Maybe you just want to really spend some time praying for Applewood Villas today. Come, kneel. Maybe today you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe today you want to make the next step of joining Seneca Baptist Church, making it your home church. But let's respond to the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, oh God, you are my God. Hmm. Do not treat us as our sins deserve. Oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Like the tax collector, woe is me. 
a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God. Don't treat us as our sins deserve, but as Christ's finished work has accomplished for us. If there's anybody today who does not know you, Holy Spirit, fly into their hearts. Save them. Father, and and make our church slowly but surely a reflection of heaven. Your will, your plan, you say, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be so at Seneca Baptist. And today, O Lord, we lift up before you Applewood and the residents there work powerfully through your people. Jesus' name, everybody said, let's sing together. And if you need.